All right, you guys. Um, I just dropped three picks, so that's just what happened. <clears throat> As I jump in, I just want to share a couple things. Um, a month ago, when we had Mother's Day, we had, we set forth a vision for biblical womanhood from Titus chapter two, verses three to five. Today, as we celebrate Father's Day, I we want to remember our Heavenly Father who did the most amazing thing for us as He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to adopt us into His amazing family of faith and grace. And it's, even, it's, it's amazing to even just look in this room how far His love extends to every one of us coming from different backgrounds, different birthplaces. His love expands far. And it's not... Be, obviously, it's way beyond this room. It's, it's been expanding far for centuries and for generations. And today, I just want to just take a moment and just say out loud, as my dad just texted me, I just want to say I'm thankful for my human father that gave his best for me, raised me, um, has supported me in every way he could as a human father. I'm also thankful for my uh, my father-in-law, this is Tracy's dad here. Um, in every way, it's just an honor that he would come visit us after the season of pandemic. We realize we haven't seen each other, not since last Christmas, but the Christmas before. So it's been a, a while, and I'm thankful for him. I've known Dad Wong um, since 1998. It's been 23 years, and so time flies. But um, he's been an awesome father and grandfather to to Tracy and I and his grandchildren. So, Dad, glad you're here. Love you. Appreciate you so much. Um, back in the day, I, I grew up, um, a lot of my most impressionable days were probably in the late 80s and 90s when I was a teenager, early college student. And there was a CD. It wasn't even a CD back then. Or maybe it was a CD. It's when CDs were starting to come in and albums were starting to fade. But at this time, there was a group that <clears throat> also made a CD slash album entitled Boys to Men. And it talks about these guys who grew up in Philly and talked about how they just grew up from boys to men. And so um, <clears throat> in the life of a local church and Christ's church, we want boys to grow up um, and, and be men. But not necessarily in a Philly style, but we wanted it to happen in a gospel biblical, Christ-honoring way to grow up from boys to men. So I just want to raise and just paint a, a, a vision, a picture, of biblical manhood for all of us um, to encourage the men to be men, for older men to, to be the men that God wants them to be, and younger men for, for them to be the men that God wants them to be, and also for women to encourage men to be the kind of man that Christ would have them to be. Um, there is so much pressure in this society and culture to demasculate men, to make men want to be something else. Um, I was reading a sermon entitled Fake Love and Fake War. And this was written by John Piper. And he says, so many men are caught up in fake war and fake love, essentially pornography and video gaming. It, it elicits something about men, a desire to be loved and desire to do something great by video gaming and being a part of porn. And it grabs us, and it grabs our mind, our attention, everything. And so that's why it's so appealing. That's why we spend lots of money, time, effort, 
and hours on these things because Satan is a master at distracting us from the gospel and even reality. And so we want to come back at that with God's word. And Paul was very serious about living a life that was purposeful, that was full of gospel vision. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, he says this, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul's mindset was to be focused, to live out a, a gospel vision. He wanted to minimize or delete all distractions possible. And so um, I'm not saying... Well, pornography is definitely sin. Um, video gaming, anything that starts to master you or takes too much in your life, it, it's, a, it's a form of sin. And I know some of you guys may or may not like that statement, but if it was consuming two, three, ten hours, you know, 40 hours a week, you're doing more on your video gaming than actually your, your work, uh, there's something wrong. And, you just, and if I ask you, you know, how much you're reading your word, the God's word, and you're like, uh you know, video gaming, this much, God's word, beep. I mean, I get a little bit on Sunday. And so I think there's a message here and a vision that I want to put out for all of you and myself included. Um, You know, what you listen to, the things that your appetite is drawn to is what you're going to become like. And so if your appetite is for God and his glory and being satisfied in God's word, it will revolutionize your life big time. If your life is about indulging in the things of this world, guess what? You'll be eating and consuming the things of this world and it'll be taking like, it'll be, it'll be like running a marathon and saying, I want soda to quench my thirst. It's just not going to happen that well. Um, I've tried it and soda just doesn't do much for you after a long run or a soccer game or whatever. So what Paul, what Paul is doing here in Titus chapter two is he specifically address the women in the middle part of Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. And as Manny read earlier, now he's going to address the men at the church of Crete, where Titus is the pastor. And so he's going to set forth a picture of what biblical manhood looks like. And he's going to give measures of what that looks like. Um, But before he does that, I want to drop you back in, a chap- in Titus chapter 1, verses 1, 10 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, please open it. And I want you to see what Titus was facing at this church and the challenges. And I want you to see what he did to address them in light of the challenges he faced at the church of Crete. So in Titus chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. This is what Titus is dealing with at church, church and community an island of Crete. He says, there are many who are insubordinate, those who are not obeying or under authority, God's authority. They're empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And listen to what he says that you must do. They must be silenced since they they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Sometimes I pause and I'm like, 
You know, are Carolinians like this? Are we lazy gluttons? Can we be liars and evil beasts? This testimony is true. And then it, it gives the practical advice. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. Behold, no, excuse me, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny them by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so that's the setting. And I, I, I keep looking at this passage. I read it several times over. I'm like, man, what would this look like to address the group and said, you must silence them. Like, quiet now. Or, you know, or, or to rebuke them sharply. I'm not sure if this is playing out in the life of most churches. Rebuke them sharply. Um, silence them. Um, there's a lot I could say on that, but I will tame myself and just let God's word speak for itself. But I want to go to the next chapter now and go into first, not first Timothy, chapter Titus chapter two, verse one. And Titus is literally laying out his heart for Christ's church. He doesn't want it to be messed up with false teachers, people doing and teaching all kinds of crazy stuff. He wants it to align with God's word. He wants it to be healthy. And so he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, but as for you, who is Paul addressing? Titus. But as for you, the leader of the church at Crete. <coughs> Paul is emphatically and specifically addressing you. Titus, this is your responsibility. This is your calling before God himself and this congregation. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So part of your calling and ministry for, for Titus was to teach. And he was to teach healthy, sound doctrine. He wasn't ta to talk about other things and random things, but he was to teach healthy doctrine. The word sound here comes from the Greek word hugeno, which sounds like our dental word that we're familiar with, hygiene, which speaks of healthy hygiene. So the teaching that Paul and Titus in this case was to be healthy, healthy doctrine, doctrine that was consistent with the Bible. So basically the Bible is fascinating because it's a commentary to itself. Pretty much all the major doctrines that Jesus taught are repeated by Paul. And a lot of the same doctrines that Paul taught was repeated by Peter and John in the New Testament. Things that are thoroughly biblical are repeated over and over and over. Um, many times we get funky doctrine or lame doctrines. We take weird, or I want to say weird, more obscure things and make way more out of them that God, than God designed it to be. When things are repeated two, three, four times, you know this is important, and you know this is clear and sound doctrine in Scripture. And so what Titus does, or even Paul instructs Titus to do first, is to address the older men first. Address the older men. And essentially saying, hey, 
act like men, not just act like men, act like older men. When I read this, it made me think of the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God addressed who first? The man. He addressed Adam first. In the same token, in this setting, in the midst of false teachers and false doctrine going on, he instructs Titus to address the men first. And so we're going to do the same. We're going to look at six measures that God is calling the young, not the young men, the older men to evaluate their lives and ask if they are setting a biblical standard, a gospel standard in the life of a local church. There's two ways to function, men. I'm, I'm one of them. There are men here that are one years old, and there's men here in their 40s, 50s, and 60s maybe. And so we're talking to all the men here, and there's two ways to live out your Christian life. You could be a thermostat or a thermometer. A thermometer takes the temperature of what's going on. And typically it's people at the church that say, hey, I see this going on, I see that going on. And you're able to say, hey, this person's hot, this person's cold, or this is, this is that many people at the church. And that's your mentality. It's just to take the temperature. Or you can say, I'm going to be a thermostat Christian. I'm going to raise the, the, the culture, the barometer to the stature of Christ. And I say, I'm just going to make a different in, difference in my environment, relationally, socially, and how I'm going to relate with one another. And this is a calling to small group leaders, every guy here, every husband. We're going to raise the barometer here. We're going to raise the thermostat here at the level of Christ. We don't want to go above Christ, but we want to be at the level of Christ and, and set that tone for everyone here. And so the things that, um, the six measures that Titus lays out, I'm going to come quicker here, is the measure of man, the first thing for an older man is he's to be sober-minded. He's not to, be, he's not to contaminate his mind with uh, mixed drinks or mixed wine or with drugs. We could include that today. He's to be sober-minded, free of excess uh, addictions. And I, I do believe there are certain media that affects us and is addictive-like. Like some people, I, I just know, you could game all the time and you could take the gaming away, and they go crazy if they don't have it because they were, what, addicted to it. I think the same goes for pornography. If you're into that, you just, like, you'll go crazy without it because, what, you are addicted. Um, those, both of those realities have an addiction to it. Um, and so it's a call to be sober-minded and not be deceived by fake love and fake war. Um, number two, Older men are to be dignified. This one comes from the Greek word uh, simnos. It means to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of respect. Not just saying, hey, I'm disrespectful because you know, I'm just this wonderful businessman. No, it's worthy of respect before God in light of his holy word. It's to live a, a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. This person is not a goofball. He's not a knucklehead nor is he an anti-fun or joy kill. You could be worthy of respect and be fun, enjoyable to be around, um, engaging, even the life of a community in terms of raising the life of Christ in your respective community. And so that's what dignity is all about. Dignity also doesn't laugh at sin. It doesn't laugh at the brokenness of families and the brokenness we see in society. It wants to make a difference. It wants to stand up. It wants to do something in such a way that it will stand in the gap for Jesus and honor God's word and God himself. 
There's a certain depth and truth about him. There's a weightiness of Christ-likeness that comes along with him. This is what a grown man looks like. Um, one who is submitted to Jesus. On uh, the measure of another measure man <coughs> number three is he's self-controlled. Um, I think the better translation is probably he's sensible. There's a sensibleness to him. He looks at his life and says, hey, God has saved me. My life must count. I am going to die one day. And he understands that um, there's only one life to live, and I don't get a second chance. I, I, I'm not a cat with nine lives, though they don't really have nine lives. Um, but I have one life to live, and I'm going to live it for what? The, the most. Um, I'm going to live it for God's glory. And so just in a very basic sense, um, this is a man who's sensible that's going to look at God's word and say, hey, I believe it, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to obey it. Um, this is a man that is going to desire to reflect God's word at, at face value and to be kingdom-minded. And so what would that mean in a very basic sense? Um, if I'm going to live in light of God's kingdom and live a sensible life, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to make my bed. I, I'm going to, you know, comb my hair if you have hair. I'm going to clean the things around my eyes, um, properly groom my nose hairs. Um, you're going to do those things. You're going to wake up. You're going to pray. You're going to wake up. You're going to what? Eat well. But I want to say eat healthy. You have one temple. Take care of your body and take care of it well. If you're sensible, you what? Sleep. Sleep is good for you um, in so many ways. And I, I, I'm guilty of this. There's times I think I could get ahead of life and I just won't sleep. It's never been good for me. It, 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 I get, it causes problems later on. Um, stresses out my body. It does a lot of things that are not good. And so be sensible. There's many more ways to be sensible with our time, with our money, with our life. Um, be sensible. Measure of an older man, number four. It's, it's a call to be sound in faith. Um, older man is, is a follower of Christ. He puts his hope and his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he fights against putting his faith in the things of this world, the things that are fading. Um, when hardship comes and trials come, he doesn't waffle. Um, he doesn't bend. He, he basically says, hey, God, I'm going to lock my eyes on you, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and I'm going to remain faithful to you through the thick and thin of life. And so um, <clears throat> a godly man for a vision of manhood, a, a father, a grandfather, a brother, a church member, um, is faithful in his relationships as a parent, as a church member, as a dad, as a granddad, a great-granddad. They're, they're faithful in those callings of life. They're not flaky. They're not like dandruff, all right, that flakes off when things get difficult or hard. Um, they are committed. They are faithful. Um, the, the measure of older man number five, he is known to, to be loving. Um, he has experienced the love of Christ in his life, and he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit to what? Love others. And so um, this, is, this love is demonstrated practically, not saying, hey, I know the theology of love. It means either agape or phileo or agapo or 
or eros love, erotic love. No, it's not just I know this love in my brain. No, it's to say, hey, I am loving in the context of relationships in your family, in your church, in your community, and embraces the gospel to say, hey, the gospel is what? A gospel for all people. If you believe and experience the love of Christ, you want to see what? Your own love as Christ works love in your life to go toward all people, all nations. And so this is a love for broken people. This is a love for lost people. This is a love for hurting people. And it's a commitment to imperfect people. <laughs> um, when I was going through premarital training and counseling, one of the pastors basically said, Gary, um, your commitment to your wife and your wife's commitment to you is a commitment to an imperfect person. It's no different even in a local church. We're making commitments to each other as imperfect people with the reality that God is at work in all of us seeking to build more of him in our lives, in marriages and families, and his church. And so that's the reality and tension that we find ourselves in. Um, the last measure of a man, measure number six, is to be steadfast. To be steadfast. Um, older men, I believe Paul and Titus are calling them out because older men are naturally looked up to. They, they set the tone. They set the example. And so if the older men are falling apart, and if they're not steadfast and they're not persevering, guess what? It's easy for the younger men and the women to say, hey, who cares? I don't want to be steadfast. You're not steadfast. I'm going to quit because you look like you're quitting. And so the call for men is to, to, to be steadfast, to persevere. And I'm not sure what you guys think about persevering in, the, in life of ups and downs, but perseverance doesn't mean two minutes or even two weeks. Perseverance, we're talking about years of perseverance. Um, <clears throat> to persevere over decades. I'm always um, encouraged by, by men, especially leaders who persevere for 30 years, 50 years, and 60 years. And they, they, they've seen movements, good and bad, come and go. But the ones that I'm most encouraged by are the ones that are fixated on Christ and His Word. And they're just not bent out of shape every, when every movement comes, whether it's like this new Christian thing or something new in the world comes up, a new theory, a new idea. But they're just simply fixated on Jesus Christ and God's eternal wor Word. And so um, that's where you want to be, men. That's where I want to be, to journey along and, and to be men that would persevere through the ups and downs of life. Um, younger men, um, you are an endangered species. There are not many young men that are thinking about Jesus these days. Most young men are thinking about a lot of other things. And <clears throat> particularly um, young men, teens, 20s, 30s, but you know, even 40s. And this, the fact that you're older man doesn't make you a godly man either. You could be still acting like a younger man who hasn't, what, ever grown up. And that's often the case these days too. You have old men that have never grown up. They, just think, they think they're boys and they, they think life is like Peter Pan. You know what he was like? I don't ever want to grow up. They want to be boys and still live at mom and dad's house, and they're in their 30s and 40s and 50s acting like kids, sadly. 
So, what are younger men to be like? Um, I'm going to flip the vernacular here. I think there's four statements here, or maybe five. But <clears throat> the first one I want to put before you is dare to be different by being self-controlled. What are areas of self-control that God would have you to submit your life to Him and to um, His Spirit? Um, I, I picked up this statement he says, at the young age, young people have a cargo of confidence, but only a crate fill of experience. Um, <clears throat> and so that's the, kind of where you are as young men. You have, you can be arrogant and prideful. I'm not saying all are, but you have very little experience. And my challenge to, to you is literally ask yourself, where is the Holy Spirit leading you and drawing you to be more self-controlled in your time your talents, and your thoughts. Dare to be different. Number two is in your conduct. In verse chapter 7, the first part here says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Literally, display the gospel. Show yourself to be a model of good works. There are so many ways to do that at home, with your brother, with your sister, with your mom and dad, your teachers, um, <clears throat> people you relate with at church, people you relate with in a community, to show yourself in respects, to be a model of good works. And I want you to know, if you're a child of God, all these works have been prepared in advance, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. All these works have been prepared in advance. And he's just saying, hey, I want you to walk in them now. Do these good works. Um, I also believe, as I think about teenagers, there's this concept called adolescence. I want you to know it's a myth. It is not a biblical concept. It's actually something conjured up by the psychological world probably for the last 70, 80 years. Um, it just never exists. This concept was never talked about since Adam and Eve was born all the way up to the early part of the first century. There's no concept of, hey, I'm an adolescent. I just act whatever way. In the Bible, all you see is this concept of childhood and then adulthood. There's no middle in-between thing. It's this childhood and adulthood. In Greek culture, Roman culture, Jewish culture, it's always what? Childhood to adulthood. And that, that's the way it is. I, I think our culture and our, I don't even know what, our, our, some of our systems aren't so good that delay childhood and adolescence and it makes an excuse to live a life not worthy of the gospel. And so, encouragement here is to be known as young men representing the gospel well. And I just want to point out some young men um, that I'm just thankful for. And I told them I'm going to point them out. I am thankful for Wesley and Luke. They have barely been here, but they're literally here at 9 a.m. And they are just uh, pleasant to be around. They're, they're showing their good works. They, they set up, and, and they're, they're late here. I don't know many college students that do this, come early. I mean, they're, they're, they're functioning at the deacon level here. They're early, and, and they're late here, and I'm thankful for them. And for two years, Apollos and Manny have been doing the same thing, and not just setting up. They just do so many things. And I, I want to say that's Christ in these young men. They are not typical young men. Um, 
they, they have been gripped by the gospel at some level, and they want to do good works as young men. And so I'm thankful for the grace in your life. I'm thankful I don't need to chase down Apollos and Manny. Man, you, you're drinking too much alcohol, and I need to hide these bottles or whatever. I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I want you to know, I, I didn't know Jesus. I, I, I found a, a, a liquor store downtown Sacramento that would sell liquor to young boys like me. And I, had my, I put my alcohol in my little canteen, and I was drinking it in the quad in the middle of school, and I would go and play my soccer games half drunk and saying a lot of bad words during the game, because why? I was drinking not that long before that. You guys are different. Set yourself apart. Raise, be a standard toward Christ and his purposes and toward his end. Um, third way to be different is to do so by displaying the doctrine, God's doctrine with dignity. He says to Titus, your teaching <coughs> show integrity and dignity. Um, in other words, um, what you take in in terms of good and healthy doctrine will be reflected in how you live. If you take in bad doctrine, guess what? Your life will be bent out of shape too. Just not as much as maybe those of the world, but bad doctrine does the same thing. Maybe not to such a degree, but it can be just as worse. You just don't realize it. The effects will be seen a little further down the road. But take in healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. Um, at Rooted Church, we want to do our best to teach God's Word through books of the Bible and, and go to authors that are very good at explaining God's Word. And so, um, dare to be different by what? Displaying healthy doctrine in your lives. Um, <clears throat> fourthly, and the last one, is dare to be different in your speech, sound speech. Um, <clears throat> here in verse 8, Titus says, to speak in a certain way, and he speaks to young men. And I, I'm very sure when in the early church, the older men and the younger men and the older women and younger women were sitting together. So they would hear this all together. Um, and it's good for what? The whole church knows what, what we are, how we are to relate to each other, how we are to connect with each other. And in many ways, I, when I was reading this, it feels like Titus is really calling a family meeting. It's saying, there's something off a little bit about the family. I definitely don't want it to look like what's happening in the culture and what's happening in chapter 1. And so we're having a family meeting, and we're letting the men and the women the older ones and the younger ones, to know um, how we are to conduct ourselves in light of the gospel. And he says here, in sound speech that, not, that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In other words, speak God's word. Speak words of life. Words that build up. Words that our opponent Whoever that may be can't say, hey, this person is saying things that are inappropriate, that are wrong, that are unbiblical, that, that your, your words are full of truth, and your words give life to people, and actually to the point it sets people free from their sins because you're speaking God's truth in their life. So at this church, we've been trying something um, new, and I think it's good. We don't want to just hear our sermons. We want to digest them and, and live them out. So um, for the next 15 minutes or so, 12, 13 minutes, 
I want to turn to the next slide and just give you an opportunity to connect with someone, um, get to know a new someone, and process um, <coughs> God's Word in these particular areas uh, with one another. And then we will close out with a song and benediction, and we'll have Father's Day lunch together. All right? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to look into your Word and be reminded of how you call us to set um, the thermostat high at the level of Christ. Uh, for your good and our glory. I mean, excuse me, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Feel free to turn to one another, uh, make a new friend. Um, and college students-ish, connect with Christian and Edie outside at the white couches. Make a friend, folks. <laughs> Here you go.